you're tuned in with In the Blind with Combat Waterfowl, the podcast. Thank you for listening. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back for episode three of In the Blind with Combat Waterfowl. Your host, Robert Brewer, co-host Andrew Beck. What's going on? What's going on? Uh, we got a special episode for you guys today. Uh, we are opening up a new series called The Lay of the Land. How do you hunt? What we're going to be doing is we're going to be bringing in uh, some of our gunners and we're going to beat them down on controversial topics, tips, tricks, the whole nine yards for how they do it in this game. Uh, so without further ado, I bring to y'all our first guest in the lay of the land, Mitch McCall. How we doing today, man? What's going on, man? I'm glad to be here. So funny story about Mitch. Uh, so, <laughs> so Mitch is uh, actually a part owner, owner of another apparel brand called Bayou Dragons. They're just getting up and going. Um, they have an incredible, uh, social media platform, both on TikTok and on Instagram. Uh, Mitch and I connected through, uh, actually through social media and, uh, and Mitch is one of our gunners and, um, we're, we're proud supporters of the Bayou Dragons. And, uh, this is going to be a very interesting episode, uh, given the fact that where they hunt at is different than any other hunting in the United States. And that's kind of the cool part about this series that we're looking to bring to you guys. So Mitch, tell us a little bit about, little bit about you and uh, about where you're from and, and uh, we'll jump okay, right man. in. Uh, I'm from Southeast Texas, um, 26. Um, man, I work in the chemical plant down here. I work shift work and, you know, on my days off, you're going to find me hunting or fishing. I mean, that's what I love to do. And I'm also blessed with a, a really good group of friends that share the same interests as me and, you know, that's what we do. Uh, when we're not working, we're hunting or fishing. And, uh, you know, just recently I started doing a little content creation and we're trying to get this Bayou Dragon thing up and off the ground. And, you know, it's kind of snowballing a little bit. We're getting more people in the area, you know, starting to support us. And it's really cool seeing people, you know, repping our stuff and everything. Yeah, I always find it, uh, I always find it really cool. Uh, you know, like once we got started, it really started – um, very similar to you guys, you know, it started in a circle of friends, you know, um, myself, Andrew, um, uh, some, some of our local boys from back home, army friends, uh, things like that. And then, you know, uh, then it got out and out and out and it's like the family tree just keeps growing and growing. Um, and you know, once you see, once you see your stuff kind of getting on out there, it, um, it's a cool feeling, man. Uh, and it's a, it's a satisfying feeling and the networking opportunities that come for that are, uh, are insane. Yeah, most definitely. I've made a lot of, um, I've met a lot of people, you know, just through social media and just through, you know, creating little short videos and, you know, posting, posting Instagram and, you know, posting the videos on TikTok. I've had people reach out to me, Hey man, you know, y'all come hunt with us sometime and, you know, vice versa. I've made quite a few relationships through that. So I think that's really cool. And I think that's really what it's all about, you know, making connections, making new friends. 100% man so that's the uh that's the best part of it to me to be honest yeah diving on into the let's go ahead and, and uh, hit this up so our first topic is going to be uh let's just talk about nothing but swamp and lake hunting um and uh I think to get this kicked off. I know our swamps, <laughs> our swamps are a whole lot different than uh, what you're used to. <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt about that. 
But first, let's just talk about nothing but conditions that we look for to be successful. Well, we hunt down here. We hunt mainly marshland. And, you know, the sad thing is with us is we don't really have a lot of time to do a lot of scouting. You know, we base a lot of our hunts early season off where we've had success in the previous seasons. And it's, you know, it's done pretty good for us. Uh, I think the refuges open up a couple days for you to go in and do some scouting, but they do have a lot of regulations on when you can go in and uh, actually, you know, go into the refuge and, you know, look for the birds. But, you know, we, we base most of our hunts off where we've had success in the past. I think it's crazy you guys can actually go into a refuge. You're not like here. You're not you're not scouting in a refuge or, you know, like you can. I think I believe there's a couple that you can drive. Um, you could drive through uh, like boat wise, but you're not you're not hunting in a refuge. And you guys get to hunt in a refuge. Right. And it comes with a price, man. Uh, you know, there's a lot of regulations that I don't agree with. Um but, you know, it is what it is. That's that's where we have to hunt down here and we have to abide by the rules, you know, and there's some people that don't abide by the rules, which is, you know, just part of the game, you know. Like, what is the so like, what is the like, what's the area like? Are you is this like marsh grass and, uh, you know, like what's the water like? What's the bottom like? Is it soft? Is it you know, like what kind of food sources are available there for, for the birds? Um, I guess what are you looking for? Uh, you know, so mainly it's, it's brackish water, you know, saltwater marsh. And, um, you know, you got pretty good cover most of the time, you know, you got your marsh grass and your, you know, on a good pond, you'll have a good pocket of cane here and there to, to bed up in. But you know, on the ponds that don't have the cane, you know, that's when we do bring, you know, a layout blind or something like that. But I try not to hunt out of a layout blind very often because that's just, you know, extra stuff to put in the boat. You know, we got, you know, two people in my boat two people in my buddies, but we're not trying to, we're trying to travel as light as possible, but we've had a lot of success in the, you know, the ponds that carry a lot of vegetation, um, you know, for them. That's usually where we kill most of our birds when that, when that pond is real thick with vegetation is when we uh, have the most success. How deep is the water usually where you're trying to hunt? Some of it's, uh, some of it's tidal. So, um, some of it's landlocked and some of it's tidal. So it just depends if the tide's coming in or the tide's coming out, you know, there'll be times where, you know, you start your hunt, you get out there and the ponds, you know, two and a half foot deep and you're leaving, it's a straight mud flat. You're driving through mud going out. It's happened. It happened to us last season. (laughs) yeah that's uh you guys are all running surface drives though right yeah we well some i have a buddy that runs a um an outboard with a jack plate but really um for me i run a surface drive just because i don't want to have to worry about getting stuck out there and um they have a regulation on the majority of these refuges out here that you can't run over a 25 uh horsepower motor which you know I guess their reasoning behind it is uh, ripping up the vegetation. You know, they regulate your prop size, too. You can't have over a nine-inch prop. And, uh, you know, I just don't really see the difference between having a nine-inch or an 11-inch prop. You know, how how big of a difference is that going to make, you know, hurting the vegetation? The trails are already cut out where you're going. You're really not hurting nothing running a bigger motor. I just It's just something I don't agree with. So... Do you see a lot of people, um, I guess, you know, kind of veering off of those trails and making their own? Like, I guess that's my thing is like, are these like one way in, one way out to like all these places? Or is it pretty much like 
one way in and then everybody just kind of splits up and goes their own way or how does that it just depends where you go man most of the time it's one way in and then it just kind of breaks off and there's pockets of water you know kind of everywhere and people know where they're gonna go you know it's um i've never seen it as bad as i did opening day there was probably 15 boats lined up at the cut which you can't enter until 4 a.m there's probably about 15 boats lined up and right at 4 a.m here they go they're racing. Everyone's racing. People are ramming into people's boats. It's crazy, man. This is the worst I've ever seen it this season. And uh, there's no need for that. You know, you get there first, you know, follow in line. But, you know, you have your younger younger kids out there that want to get out there and race. And there's just no need for it. <laughs> I have no desire to uh, partake in that. I watched, uh, what is that, uh, Dennis and uh, Billy Camels. Uh, they went opening day in Arkansas. And that made me never want to go to opening day in Arkansas. I'm like, it's just not worth it to me, man. Like, it's absolutely nuts. Like, so I can only, I can only imagine on that. So, like, I, I mean, like, like speaking on it now, and I didn't realize it was a 25 horsepower limit. That really knocks out like a lot of like top level surface drives. Like, you're, you're kind of struggling on the right buddy and, um. Well, you got guys that go bring their 25 big block gator tails and get them all hopped up, you know, to 37. And, you know, they got a little advantage there, you know, if you're if you're racing in. But as the season progresses, man, and I do a lot of hunting during the middle of the week, it's not as bad. But early season, you know, on your weekends, it can get it can get pretty competitive out there. But you know what? I enjoy it. I've done it for years and uh you know, I don't mind it at this point. You know, I'm just used to it, I guess. Yeah, so earlier you said about you don't do a lot of – you don't get the opportunity to do a lot of scouting, right? And so you kind of – you do your scouting kind of on the whim. You know, like when you do get the opportunity to scout uh, and you go to places that you've had previous success and, and things like that, you know – how many are you looking for a particular number of birds to be in an area? Are you looking for a number of birds in a hole? Are you um, trying to watch their flight patterns and try to figure anything out? Are you pretty much just like, all right, well, this is a hole of water. It has the food. I'm just going to sit up here and the rest is history. It's going to happen. So, you know, year in and year out, these ponds that produce every year, they stay hot pretty much, you know, every year you may have a different pond pop off, but you know, every year the same ponds are pretty good, you know, and while we're hunting, you know, we can even do a little scout, you know, while we're hunting. Okay. You know, there's some birds going down over there. That'd be a good spot to hunt. You know, you know, you see a couple, you know, good sized groups go down in the hole, you know, that's definitely something to look at. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's how I do a lot of my scouting. Um, it's, you know, being a firefighter, man, it's, I'm the same way on the shift work. So it's, it's, Hey, you know, I'm going to go hunt and I may have two days lined up back to back that I'm going to hunt. And the first day might be a dud because it's really just scouting and maybe shooting a couple of shots. Yeah. We, you know, and word of mouth's a big thing too. You know, we try to keep our holes quiet, but it, I mean, it is public land and, and people know about the good spots. So. You know, it's it's the grind of public land hunting, right? You got to get out there early and, you know, you just got to make a night out of it. And that's just what we've always done. And, you know, the hot spots are the hot spots, you know, they're going to be popular. That almost makes it a better situation, though, I think, um, you know, public land, it has its 
it has its positives and its negatives, right? If you have a big area of public land and you have hunters out there hunting it, it keeps the birds stirred up. Uh, where, you know, sometimes, you know, in some of these private places, at least, you know, out here, private places are pretty limited to mostly impoundments um, or swamps, like flooded timber swamps. And so, um, you know, the impoundments are pretty manicured and, um, you know, they're planted with, with mostly uh, mostly corn or uh, some some places will use like Japanese millet uh, or something like that. But for the majority of it, it's uh, it's it's pretty manicured places. There's not like huge, vast, open areas of water that are private that are available, at least in in this area. Most of it's uh, most of the private land hunting is done either on marshland that borders open water and um, or it's done in an impoundment. And those those marshlands, most of those counties, they have a, um, a 500 yard limit. So, uh, the property owner goes and places blinds every 500 yards down there, uh, down their shoreline. And you can't hunt within 500 yards of that, whether onshore or off. So you have to be 500 yards away from any blind, which again, you know, it's, it's a good thing and a bad thing, but we're not seeing nearly the numbers of birds that you guys see, uh, in the central flyway at all. Yeah, and I mean, the, you talk about the distance thing. Down here, I believe it's 200 yards, and, you know, you can get out there. I, I've I've had it before where I've, I've stayed the night, you know, out there. I got my spot. I got my pond I wanted, and you'll have, you know, you're on public land. You'll have a boat come running in, you know, 30, 45 minutes before shooting time and set up less than 200 yards from you. And, I mean, you can you can yell at them. You can, you, you know, go back and forth with them, but they ain't going to move. You know, it's just – it's just one of the um, one of those things, man, about that public land. But that's all I know, man. I mean, we occasionally get the private land hunt, but I enjoy the grind, and I feel like more satisfied when I kill limits on public land. I, I don't know why. It's just how how it's always been for me. I think that adds another element to it, though, for sure. Like no doubt about it. Um, you know, like most of our, it's you guys are doing something totally different than we are here. We're hunting a similar area. You know, um, you know, you, we're hunting, we're hunting coastal marshes and open water, um, you know, but we're hunting divers and sea ducks. Uh, you guys are more or less seeing much more puddle ducks, right? Like, what are you, what are you guys seeing species? We have a pretty good uh, variety of species of uh, waterfowl down here, man. Uh, you know, obviously right now it's teal season. We're shooting a lot of blue wing teal. Um, when big duck season opens up, we're mainly going to kill gadwall teal uh the occasional model duck um and we'll shoot divers too um we'll get the occasional widgeon you know um the pinteller here as well uh, we got a pretty good variety pack down here of course you got your uh your spoon bills down here too man it's a pretty good area to hunt if you're looking for a good you know uh variety bag them old boot lips boy <laughs> <laughs> oh, i love them shuckers, i got excited man. i'm not gonna lie we shoot, we shoot a bunch of shovelers down here for sure. Do y'all, is it like a, is it like a stigma thing? Like do people, do people talk crap about you for shooting spoonies? It used to be, but now, you know, my buddies that I hunt with, you know, we'll have a group of gadwall come in and, you know, mixed in with some spoonies. My buddies will shoot at the spoonies sometimes. <laughs> I mean, you know, if it's, if it's decoy, man, it's going to get shot at. I don't care if it's a spoon bill or a gadwall teal, whatever. So y'all yeah, hunt you, out of the boat. So it just depends where we go. Okay. Um, 
the coastal marsh, the, the ponds, you know, some of them, like I said, have cover. Some of them don't have as much cover. But what we ideally like to do, um, if we can find a good point with, you know, a big tall patch of cane, we'll all offload on bank and someone will get in the boat and ram that boat, you know, up into the cane and we'll brush it up a little bit. And it's the most comfortable way to hunt, but sometimes it doesn't work out like that. But I enjoy hunting out of the boat. You know, that's interesting to me considering that in our, most of our refugee, you can't hunt from open water. <laughs> like there's laws against it that say you must be within five feet of the bank, especially in and tied off. Well, we're, we're hunting out of the boat. It's up on the bank. I mean, when we hunt out of the boat, we're, I mean, the cane's on the bank and we're ramming the boat up into the cane and, you know, when we're done, we just got to shove the boat off the bank, you know. That's, I wish. Yeah, it's wild. But like I said earlier, uh, you know, we come across a pond that, that doesn't have a lot of cover. We'll throw a layout blind out, brush it up, and just, you know, hunt right on the, the edge of the water. That's really cool to do. I feel like when the birds are decoying on you, they're like right in your face. So are these state refugees or federal refugees? These are federal, uh, refugees, federal, federal regulated refuges. And, you know, you got your federal game wardens out there and then you have your, I guess some of the game wardens actually, you know, are, are local, you know, but, you know, mainly we encounter the federal wardens out there and, you know, we've been blessed. I've never received a citation, knock on wood, in the, all the years I've been hunting. So I'm puzzled in my head because ours are federal as well. And they are a completely different set of rules. Like, yeah, I guess it's just a state thing, man. I mean, yeah, we've got some, we've got some, um, definitely some controversial regu regulations down here. Well, you know, sure. Andy, there's part, there's, so there's refuges here that, um, the only reason that they're refuges is they were previously privately owned areas. And when the property owner died, they left it to the state for a waterfowl refuge under the stipulation that it could never be hunted. So some of the refuges here are kind of are were acquired uh, for that purpose. Some of them um, were also acquired through nonprofit organizations. So, uh, so, um, so they're basically in a land trust. Yes, some of them are. Yeah, some of them are here. But, you know, the, the other thing, I mean, there's so there's that one that's out by Englehard that uh, I believe has some some law uh, where you can't you can and can't be. And there's you know, it's actually marked out on the on the GPS. You're talking um, about. Florida, so. Florida. Yeah. Yeah, that's called they have the procl uh, proclamation area where you can't be inside of it at all. You can hunt inside yep. of it from the land, but you can't hunt in the water on it, which is... Yep. We hunted there a little bit last year, man, and it's it's just difficult, man. I'm not going to say it's not impossible by any means, but it's difficult. You're just not going to say you're just not going to go out pretty much anywhere here. Go to public land and shoot the type of birds that mitch is talking about it just it's not gonna happen like you're not gonna go out there take three other guys with you 
set up as a four-man group and come back with anywhere close to a four-man limit of puddle ducks. It will not happen. It just won't. Well, it doesn't always work out like that. You know what I mean? You got your good hunts and you got your, your bad hunts for sure. But, you know, um, like I said earlier, we try to position ourselves in the best areas possible to kill the most birds. And, you know, most of the time we do pretty well. So I was surprised. I went by uh, the end of last year and I was expecting to shoot nothing but divers. And we ended up shooting two puddle ducks with three people. And like... Complete flute, but um, so do, do you guys do a lot of, uh, well, I should say not a lot of, but is there anyone doing, you know, a decent bit of like diver hunting as far as like layouts and stuff out there, open water or no? There, There is areas where you can go to shoot predominantly your divers, but, you know, everyone's mainly after the puddle ducks uh, out here, you know. I guess you could go set up on, on the bay. I've heard of people filling out like giant spreads on the bay or something like that and, you know, shooting some divers. And I've hunted areas where, you know, it's mainly divers, but, you know, we, we target the puddle ducks for sure. I hear a lot of talk in the Gulf about redheads and that they're just thick, thick out there. So we have ponds that like butt up to the beach and we will shoot some redheads. Um, the, fir- the closer you get to the beach, it seems like, you know, you're going to kill more redheads, and that's how it's been in the past. And, you know, we've killed a few here and there. I mean, nothing crazy. But. Do y'all ever see any whistlers? Uh, Not really. I've heard that they run through Texas pretty good in some areas. I didn't know if that was close by you or not really. Not really. I mean, mainly gadwall, teal, spoonies, man. That's our that's our main bag. No mallards. Few and far between, man, and it's unfortunate. You know, that's kind of you know, a lot of people just up north. I see all these people up north just blasting the greenheads, man. I'm like, dang, I wish we got some greenheads down here. But so speaking on like species, what is y'all? What would be your standard loadout of decoys? I like to throw um, mainly what we shoot. Yep. I like to throw um, a dozen gadwall, a dozen teal. And, uh, you know, my buddy's got this thing where he throws out, you know, uh, half a dozen coot every hunt. He brings them, brings them with us, and he'll throw them coot out there. And uh, he won't leave the house without them. And, then, you know, it works, I guess. You know, um, they decoy to him. So. But I try to keep my spread pretty simple, man. People get complex with these spreads, and I just, you know, dozen on the left a pocket on the right you know and then another pocket of teal and leave a good landed zone in the middle man that's that's really where we've been the most successful just a simplistic spread are you using any kind of motion we do man uh so you know we'll throw the mojo on early and uh i bought one of those um those hedging what are they called pulsators i bought a pulsator and it seems to create some pretty good motion man they like it uh we used it during um, the opener teal season and they they really liked it yeah i was pretty surprised to hear that we we got to talking a little bit about that uh last episode about it seems like you you drive by any spread down here and you're gonna see like four mojos running all day every day at least a couple of kids uh goose goose calling at cormorants uh you never know what 
you never know what kind of stuff you're going to see, but one thing you can almost always see here uh, is people running mojos over water, and I just have never found it to be successful. So I was curious. Oh, it works great early season, and then as the season progresses, you know, they, I guess they start recognizing what it is, and they'll flare off it, you know. Uh, and when it's really bright outside, we'll pull it. But, you know, early in the morning, they really like it. I was looking at the uh, the pulsator. I, I don't think they get really used to it, man. I'm gonna be honest. That from what I've seen, the little bit I've hunted with one out, um, I never have seen or thought that they have actually like locked on to it. And they're like, nope. Whereas versus like I can watch birds on a mojo and they can move in, and then as soon as they lock on the mojo, it's it's just like a it, it's a very graceful fly. And and they're they're out of town. They're not they're not coming through. Uh, I've actually went. Yeah, I love using that pulsator. I uh, I went to using no motion, except the old jerk rig, on a, a lot. Um, just because it's like you said, I, I'm just trying to keep things simple. Um, and when you get few and far between on days, uh, I don't want that to be the reason that we're not we're not successful or with the level of success that we think we are. Yeah, I think the more simple, the better, honestly. I mean, it's always worked for us. You brought up coots, and I know I'm coming to see you in January. You guys get a lot of coots down there? I can put you on some coots, my friend. Yes, sir. <laughs> hey, we can get one to uh, put on the wall for you. <laughs> Dude, we're, we got to do it one day. One day that I'm down there, we've got to go on a coot shoot. Oh, I can put you on them, man. There's no question. We got plenty of them down here, so and I can bring you to a pond that is straight coot, all coots, all day, every day, all day. I know where they're at, man. Do y'all get a uh, a 15 limit on those as well? You know, I've never really uh, dug a lot into the coot, <laughs> man. Uh, we'll shoot one here and there. Uh, you know, it's not not something we really shoot a lot of. You know, maybe. Every, every once in a while, someone will accidentally shoot one when it's really early, you know. But uh, we, we don't really shoot a lot of coot. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, we're we're gonna we're gonna make we're gonna make a good solid pile of coots, and I'm gonna make you eat one, and you're gonna you're gonna be like, man, this this is really good. The next thing you know, you're you you and Porter are gonna be going out there every day, just laying waste to some coots, man. I'll believe it when I see it. I guess. Yep. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to make a believer out of you. It's clear. That Walmart Parmesan Parlin coming in. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh man. Are you? So you, you know, I I know in conversation. Obviously, we've done, been doing a little bit of planning um, for for the Texas ride. So um, I wanted to ask you a little bit. I know you talked about you guys kind of have a lull, right? Um, when are you seeing, when are you seeing like your best times of the year? You know, like for us, anything, you know, you're, you're going to, you're going to see a lot of sea ducks in November. Uh, and then you start seeing the puddle ducks and a lot of the divers show up later in the year. And then from the beginning of January, it just progressively usually gets better as the later you get in January, the better it gets, uh, here. What are you guys seeing there? I mean, I guess it depends on weather as well later in the year, but um, we always do really good early in the season. And then 
it'll start falling off as we approach the split. And then early in the second split, it'll be pretty good. And then it'll fall off a little bit. And then we've done really good late season, you know, January, we've killed a lot of birds uh, in January. I mean, it's just, you know, I, and it, like I said, depends on whether, you know, we get a couple good cold fronts, you know, that'll push a fresh group of birds down here. And that plays a key part in it as well. But, but you know, earlier in the season and then I guess, you know, late in the season, usually pretty good. Have you seen any trends that you can pick off? I mean, I know you've been duck hunting quite a while, so I, I figured I'd ask about that. You know, like what, you know, like have you seen like any trends that just stick out to you? Like, man, like we've really been hurting on pintails the last two years or. Well, i tell you what, man, um, maybe it was two or three seasons ago. Um, there was pintail galore down here we we had a spot we'd go and we'd limit pintail every time and then it seems the past year or two they've kind of dwindled down a little bit you know we don't shoot as many pintail but there for a while they were pretty thick down here but uh as far as trends go man we always kill them early um early in the season you know the first couple of weeks is usually when we have our best hunts you know um and then you know early in the second split like i said and then um you know, even last week in the season, we've had some really good hunts. So just, you know, that weather plays a, a key role in it, you know. Where do your seasons run? Like when, like when are they? Uh, our split is early December. I think it starts into October. I had to look at it. Um, the main part of November, and then it picks back up through January. Our split's in December. So they're pretty complimentary. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. So that's why I, I told you to come down here in January. You know, that's towards later in the season. I think we can we can shoot some birds. And, you know, the crowds kind of start um, dwindling down a little bit towards later in the season. You don't have to fight as many people out there. And uh, that'd probably be the best time for you to come down and, and kill some birds. Just make sure them coots are ready. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it, man. I'm, I really am. I hope you're able to make it down and – you know, hang out and make oh, that's happening. Like one hundred percent, it's happening. It's already on the. It's already on the books, my man. <clears throat> good, good deal, man. So, what is your private? I know you, you said that you mostly are doing public, but if you're going to go hunt private, what does that look like for you? Is it still marshland, or what is it? Uh, you know, um, private land around here usually consists of rice fields. Um, Early in the season, them rice fields hold a lot of birds. Uh, right now, they're loaded with teal. All them teal are in there thick feeding. And not as many are in the marsh, but once they eat all that food source, they're going to be in the marsh. And them guide services lease up. Um, the majority of the, the rice and farmland out here, they're all leased up, you know. Um, and if you want to get on a lease down here, it's extremely expensive. And I don't think it's worth it because... They're good early, and then once that food's gone, they're they're shagging to the marsh. But yeah, it's mainly it's mainly rice field down here when you when you hunt your private land. And you know, I've I've hunted quite a bit of um, of rice fields, and we we've done pretty well. It's it's comfortable. They build like stake blinds out there. I've hunted out of pit blinds. I've hunted out of, you know, your traditional blind. And, you know, it's nice showing up at, you know, five o'clock in the morning and riding the side by side out to the blind. You know, you're not hanging, you're not staying the night in the marsh and running your mud boat, you know, 
through all and racing all them people. You know, that's the one good thing about private land. You don't have yeah, to fight people or have alligators climbing in your boat. We saw quite a few gators uh, Saturday. We don't we don't run the dogs until we get our first good cold. Front. Yeah, I can see why. I'd make stuff. Yeah, it's 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 not worth it, man. What about snakes? Your boy's scared to death of snakes. We got snakes down there. I don't see many snakes out there. We got. Coyotes oh, I ain't worried about a dog. There. I'm worried about a snake. Coyotes and pigs. Oh. So I've never, I've never killed a pig at all, and I really want to do it. I can tell you a story of. We had one. We were making a hunt one morning. It was me and my buddies, and we had this big old boar hog come running through our spread. He decoyed into our spread. <laughs> I say he decoyed into our spread. I mean, he ran right down the middle of our spread. Big old cutters on him. Big old boar hog. And we uh, we laid into him pretty good. Y'all have season on hogs there? Got him out of there. Yeah, it's, they're non-regulated. You can kill all. Oh. As far as the wildlife management area, I don't think you're supposed to shoot them out there. But, you know, if you're hunting, um, you know, private land or, you know, you can kill as many and that, as you want. that day, that hog ran through. Uh, you, you guys were hunting in a rice field on private land. <laughs> yeah. We were hunting private land. <laughs> yeah. We were, dude, we were up in New York uh, early goose hunting. And uh, we were just sitting there laying in the line and – there wasn't really anything going on. And the next thing you know, we saw this, saw this dog. Or we thought it was a coyote at first. It was kind of early up on the side of the, on the side of the cornfield, like 200, 300 yards away or whatever. And uh, my buddy Garth just starts like making this like noise, like with his mouth, right? Dude, this fox came hauling it straight to those geese. I mean, just like you're talking, like decoy. And so we're, you know, kind of like whispering or whatever, like, hey, let him get a let him get a little close. Next thing you know, one of the dudes, the name's Toot, he sits up in the blind, pops up, and just smoke checks this fox. It was stepping off 40, it was like 40, 42 yards, something like that, with steel shot. Three and a half inch BB, just boom, smoke. It didn't even, like, move at all. It was just like, he's full standing, just a flat, right on the ground. Uh, right there, right out of the, right out of the goose blind. Yeah, definitely. Cool. It was the, it was the only thing that was harvested that morning. Uh, so. Hey, at least y'all didn't yeah, get stuck. we got foxed. <laughs> I'm more intrigued that the fox just rolled out straight to you. Dude, he started doing that little thing with his mouth, just, and just right in there, dude. You'd be surprised them predators, man. They'll come to yeah, that. I'll watch that happen. I would have never, you would have never in a million years got me to believe that that would have happened like that. But dang on, sure did. What about, this is something I kind of wanted to, wanted to ask you about. So I, I brought it up kind of in passing earlier, talking about calling. What do y'all see a lot of, you know, do y'all, y'all use mallard calls? I know you, you don't have a lot of mallards, uh, but... Are you, you, do you call? Do you not call? What are you, what are you doing? There's a lot of calling that goes on. Uh, I use a gadwall call a lot. You know, it's pretty simple to blow. Um, 
I'll use that a lot. I'll, I'll throw a comeback call in with a mallard call, a little feed call here and there, and they react good to it. I mean, and we'd use a whistle a lot for the teal, and I can't blow a dang blueing teal call or else I'd use one of those. But, you know, just your, your basic calls. Yeah, we, we, we keep it pretty simple, man. We don't try to try to overcall them or anything, you know. A little comeback call, a little feed, quack here and there, throw a little gadwall into it. You know? I got to say, I've never uh... – I've never paid attention to a gadwall call. I actually just bought one last season and I really like it because it's so easy to blow and you can hear them gadwall when they're flying. I mean, it's, you can mimic them perfect with that gadwall call too. So that's why I bought it. It seems to work. I, uh, I just, I think gadwall is probably one of the most underrated species to me. A Drake, a really mature Drake gadwall is a beautiful duck. And I think a lot of people don't give them enough credit. Now, that's one of my favorite birds to shoot. I mean, I think they're beautiful ducks. They decoy great. I mean, and they're just, they're fun to shoot, man. They come in and, you know, usually good-sized groups. When they do it, they I, really I do shooting. it. Like, <laughs> they they go full send. But yeah, man, I <clears throat> like I said, I've been hunting that public land for, I don't know, probably 10 years now. And it's uh, it's just become, you know... y'all probably think it's crazy you know some of the stuff we have to do but it's just normal normal operation for us you know we pulling the all-nighters in the marsh and you know just making a night out of it and i've come to where i just enjoy the whole experience you just load the boat up drive out to wherever you know that line or that limit is limit of advance and you just anchor up sit out there until four and then keep going the rest of the way or it depends on the day and it depends on where we go so I mean, open. I'll give you an example for opening day of teal season. They left the house at midnight. We showed up to the boat ramp. There was like three boats that were already launched. We chilled at the boat ramp for about an hour. A couple more boats started showing up. We put in. I went and chilled at the cut until, you know, 4 a.m. People start showing up, and then you just race in, race in there. Try to get your spot. But it doesn't always work like that. That was opening day. You know, a lot of the times you can hang out at the boat ramp and in the truck until, you know, 3.30 and then just put on in. It just depends on the day, man. Weekdays are a lot better than weekends. And, you know, you kind of know what you're in for. You're going to see me do a lot of sleeping if we're going to be boat <laughs> all night. Uh, you'll, you won't be doing much sleeping, man. You're going to enjoy no, the whole I'm, experience I'm excited, of being man. down here. It's definitely going to be different for sure. I'm ready. A wrap for episode three for in the blind with combat waterfowl don't forget to hit the like and the subscribe button and give us a review five stars is a plus also go check out mitch over at bayou dragons we'll catch you all next week